When it comes to hunting boots, how many pairs does one man need? Well, how many seasons are there? Turkey season? Deer season? Duck season? Dove season? Honey, how many pairs of boots does one man need? At least one more pair. For just about everything for hunting, go to MidwayUSA.com. I'm Larry Potterfield with Midway USA. Thanks for your business. Hunting is not easy. It never has been. It takes dedication, motivation, a lot of patience, and quality gear. If you manage a food plot, put up stands, or need just one more game camera, we can help at MidwayUSA.com. We opened our doors in 1977 and continue to put customers first by offering super fast, same day shipping. For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet? Uh, well, not exactly. I'm still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon. <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working on it. But what do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. T- distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour. You, no, no. What were you doing? Were you listening to another hunting podcast again? I swear, I give the staff in this office the freedom to do whatever they want to do as long as they meet a deadline. That is the first bullet underneath your job description. Pays attention to detail and deadline. And deadline. Are you even listening to me right now? Hey guys, if you're looking for a quality bow dealership near Newcastle, Pennsylvania, look no farther than Williams Archery down in Edinburgh, PA, just minutes west of the city. They offer Hoyt, PSE, Elite, Bear, and many more brands. Go check out their bow fishing equipment, or stop in for hands-on shooting lessons. Give Ron and Linda a call at 724-667-9660. After you get your bow tuned up at Williams, you're going to need the calls to get the turkeys close enough to shoot. The only way to get a stingy pressured bird close is with a quality custom call from Allen and Friends. They offer V-cuts, combo cuts, and bat wing cuts for all of your turkey calling needs. The best part? If you order today with our code WDP, you will pay $5 per call and receive free shipping. Order today on Instagram at ANF underscore custom calls or by email at ANF custom calls at gmail.com. Welcome to episode 35 of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me from the car, and while I'm in the rack shack, Charles Hedlund. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. What's going on, man? <laughs> Not too much, man. I'm just excited <laughs> about this episode. Yeah, we did record it together in the rack shack, however... Uh, we did. We, we did. We've been having a bad habit of forgetting to record the intro and outro because our episodes go late, and by the time we're done, we're kind of whooped, and we're just like... uh We'll get to it. We'll yeah. get to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. And then last minute, we're calling over the phone and making something happen. True, It's all true. good. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> well, Sometimes you just got to make it work. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. We'll make it work any way we can. But keeping with the uh, the focus of the modern assassin, this one is a little bit more explicit than it typically is, but it's raw, real, no bullshit, just like Garrett Penner is. Yeah, what I would say about that is I know this one is more explicit than our typical episodes. However, 
you don't want to put restrictions on guys like Garrett. He's one of the people that you kind of just give him his free range and let him do what he does because that's who he is. Absolutely. You know, we would be taking something away from him. Oh, yeah, no, if absolutely. If we were like, oh, man, can you just, you know, not say this or not say that? No, that's that's not how we are. No. You know, it, it's real talk. It's back and forth. It's how people are. Absolutely. You know? yeah. So that's why this one I wasn't too worried about doing it as our probably our first explicit episode because he he, he is raw he is real and he speaks no bullshit yeah agree man you know, I couldn't he, agree he says anymore. it how it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> i love the dude but yeah but it makes a great episode absolutely you know? absolutely so i mean other than that you, you want to catch up a little bit i know when this comes out we'd have our uh first day of turkey season in the books already that that's true that's true well we'll catch up um, on that with the next one i know we'll, we'll get another episode out there and we're going to go ahead, go ahead and cover our entire uh turkey adventures and maybe more to come i know there was uh something happened and some other things happened that were close but there is one bird on the ground in our group so that's that's pretty exciting that there is my man it was it was wild. <laughs> it was a good weekend. You know, we're fighting weather right now. We're definitely fighting the weather and the, the birds' behavior, but it was a great weekend. Agreed. You know? So, other than that, I, I'm looking forward to this episode. It was a very good episode. I kind of want to hear it back because when you're in the moment, you know, you kind of forget what all you talked about, and you get to edit the episode, so you get to listen to it over and over again, and I'm sitting here like, man, I just want to hear that all over again because listening to a guy like this and the information he has to offer is just it's unbelievable oh yeah no he just he's constantly throwing down information and tips and tricks and just i mean he's just a really cool dude and i really enjoyed talking to him yep great person to talk to i'd suggest anybody that just wants to chat with someone that's a really genuine cool dude that really knows his shit he's the person absolutely well let's bring him on all right guys so on the phone with us today we have the modern assassin garrett benner Guy's got a ton of information for you. Garrett, what's going on, brother? Yo, yo, what's up, fellas? <laughs> Not too much, man. Just enjoying the weather over here. Hell yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's absolutely beautiful here today, too. Before we got on the phone, I got home from work, ran out, and was uh, sticking some arrows in the target. Dude, nothing wrong with that, man. That yeah, time we, of year. we saw that on social media today, and that's something we wanted to talk about a little bit. Maybe we'll get into that a little later, but... uh. Per usual on our episodes, we want to introduce you. Not a lot of people may know who you are, uh, unfortunately, because I think you got some great stuff on YouTube and a lot of great stuff on your social media feed. But why don't you go ahead and get into who you are and uh, where you're from? Yeah, yeah. Name's Garrett, known as the Modern Assassin. I always say, uh, you know, I aim to kill, I don't aim to please. My whole thing's kind of raw, real, no bullshit. Uh, got my own YouTube. Modern Assassins, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, all that, The Modern Assassin. And, uh, yeah, I just do a little bit of everything outdoors. You know, if it, if it gets my blood pumping, I'm, I'm game to go after it. You know, I don't specialize necessarily in just hunting one animal or one style. Uh, if anything, I guess it's with a bow since I do my hunting and fishing with a bow for the most part. But yeah, just do all my own self filming put out my own productions and like i said my whole thing's just raw real no bullshit have a good time dude i love it man that actually kind of brings me into one thing i want to talk about one of my favorite quotes i've ever heard you say and <laughs> i laughed for uh -oh. like probably 10 <laughs> minutes when i heard you say it 
and you, it was kind of like your thing, like, you don't aim to please, you aim to kill. And you yeah, said, absolutely. no matter how sweet the peach, there's just some asshole that don't like peaches. And that just... <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth, man. And and you know what? And he's just going to try to tell everybody else not to like peaches, too. And it's like, <laughs> you, there's no one you can be or nothing you can do or pretend to be or ever actually become that is going to please everyone. So why not just be anything but yourself? That's beautiful, man. Amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> Cheers. So, dude, how did you get into hunting? Like, take us way back to the very beginning of maybe growing up or where yeah, you, where so, it all started. Uh, my grandfather and one of my uncles were big into hunting. My father took me fishing, and that's kind of where it started was fishing. I just fell in love with it, and then even when I was pretty young, I could jump on my bike with a fishing rod and and bike down to a local lake and do some fishing or or to a little creek and stream. So it kind of started off with fishing because, you know, as a kid, you know, you ain't going to give a six-year-old a weapon and say, hop on your bike and go have fun. So, uh, yeah, started there, and then... Got into kind of just making my own recurves and stuff like that with friends to, uh, I think I eventually got my first recurve from a, a yard sale and started getting to go out. Once I got a little bit older, I'd get to go out with my grandfather and my uncle on a goose hunt or a duck hunt, you know, and even a couple deer hunts, but it wasn't real often, but I always loved it. And then got to start carrying a weapon. I, I think it was. You know, and hunting on my own somewhere around 15. And that's when I, I shot my first deer with a shotgun. And I stayed at it a little bit. But at that age, you know, I'm in high school, just getting my license and everything. I was skating and, you know, partying all the time. And the hunting thing, uh, I always loved it. But it just, you know, I was out late at night and I wasn't getting up early in the morning, basically. <laughs> yeah, man, um, I can so agree So hunting kind of fell wayside until I was in college. I went to Frostburg State University. I have a degree in environmental analysis and planning. And in college, you know, I was doing the same thing. I was, you know, skateboarding and all that and then partying. And uh just chasing girls and, you know, going to keg parties, really. And I'm like, <laughs> and I need to... Uh, like, I, I wanted to get back into it, especially being out there in the mountains. It was just such a beautiful area. And I was still doing a good bit of fishing. Uh, but that's when I decided to get into the hunting more. And I actually went to a little local pro shop, saved up all the money I could and, and, and bought a bow. It was just a little single cam Martin. And I would go to this little tiny pro shop that was in a double wide trailer in the hills <laughs> and just practice, 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 you know, getting out, you know, out of town every day after college going up there and met a buddy up there who had some land nearby and borrowed another friend's climbing tree stand and went out there and the the very first night you know the very first day i went out found some fresh sign and everything set up and i had deer come through when it was too dark to really even see anything um i just know it was deer walking right under me so the next chance i got out i knew i had to be where they'd be earlier in the day 
And uh, so I got up there a couple days later, and I basically just backtracked the sign up the mountain and found the spot by a giant oak tree where I knew they were, were, were staging at and moving through. So that's where I set up. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I look back now at the tree I was in, and it was almost like a telephone pole, like had zero cover. <laughs> it was out in this big, wide, like, lane. Like, it's not at all where I would hunt now, but I would hunt that area, but certainly not the tree I chose. But so I had uh, two deer come in, plenty of light left, and I go to full draw. And as soon as they come out into the open, they just start walking straight at me. And I literally held it full draw for, I I think it was close to two minutes. Um, I'm not sure. You know, it always feels like forever. It it does. It was forever. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, one of them turned broadside and stepped out a little bit. And I let it rip. And I, I knew it went right over its back. And it went blazing past me at 100 miles an hour, and I just watched it disappear. And I was like, man, I cannot believe I spent, you know, all this time and all this practice. And it wasn't a close drive. Like, and I'm scrounging change to pay for gas to get up to the mountains up there to hunt and shit. And it was just kind of devastating, you know. And I turn around and look back in front of me. And that other doe is out at exactly like 20 yards, standing perfectly broadside with her head right behind a big tree. Oh, damn. And she's just standing there looking around, but she can't see me at all. And I very slowly knocked another arrow, drew back. I came to full draw, and I literally thought to myself, this is no different than shooting that 20-yard spot in that double-wide trailer. and boom heart shot and uh yeah that's that's when i got fully immersed and fully addicted to hunting dude that was one hell of a story man (laughs) (laughs) not only that but some of the things that you mentioned doing like it's such an early time in your if you want to call bow hunting experience dude you, you took the track up the mountains you know you moved where a lot of people they'd seen deer you know they would just go hunt that same spot again you know, and probably have the same deer walk under them in dark again. You know, you did yeah, that. I've, I've it's crazy. I've always been just fascinated with animals. And yeah. I think anyone that's really into hunting is. Like, I mean, if you're in an area where you can't hunt and you see deer, you still stop and look out. Right. You know, you know, you can't go there and hunt them, but it's just, you know, the fascination with animals and, um, I'm very kind of analytical in anything I do. I don't know if this came from skateboarding or what, but I'm always going to try something a little different or go a little harder or a little out of the box in ways. So uh, I don't like to be stagnant, you know, if that makes sense. Absolutely, man. I can't can't agree with that more. I mean, you got to switch it up somewhere. Yeah, and you cut your teeth like we did. I mean, mobile hunting... Around here, we know it. It's a climbing stand. I mean, it was a climber for us forever yeah. and ever and ever. I mean, until last year, that was my mobile hunting was a climber stand. We have enough yeah, trees my, around my here. Yeah, my first climber stand, the, the one that I borrowed from that guy was one of them big, you know, all steel, yeah. E-bar back, 
you know, thing probably weighed like 40-some pounds. It was basically just like a death trap to shimmy up a tree in. Bro, did you um, borrow my climber? <laughs> <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. I think I, I think all of us spent a little bit of time <laughs> sketching out one of them things. Oh, man. That's badass, though. <laughs> that, and I get it, man. The mobile hunting thing is huge. You you got to be moving. You always got to be on the move. You know, a lot of people that just hunt the same stands year in and year out, some people get it done. But for the most part, you know, if you want to really be successful and really go above and beyond, I feel like you have to have some kind of mobility in your game. Yeah. You know, you, know, you got that at an early age, which is, which well, is huge. It, yeah. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad you say that because I kind of, got away from it you know that it's what i started like i said i borrowed a friend's tree stand a lot of my hunting in college was done from the ground so i had almost like like my bow almost looked like a ghillie suit and <laughs> the reason was was there was just a lot of low thick shit i was hunting and i found i could always use my bow as cover you know, tucked down against something, just having my bow bushy. And I, I even do this now a lot of times. If I feel like a deer's going to look up at me, I a lot of times I'll hold my riser slightly sideways in my bow, and it's blocking my face, mm -hmm. but I can see right through the riser and see the deer. Dude, I've done so that a bunch of I times. do the same damn thing, dude. And it, I, yeah, yeah, you, I you hide in a way, it. created a bit of cover and breakup. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was full out mobile hunting. And as soon as I got out of college, one of the very first things I did was I went and I bought a lone wolf climber because I was borrowing stands or, you know, shit like that. And, and they were just sketchy. And I'm like, man, that, that thing was just so sweet. And it still is. I still have it. I still kill deer from it. But after getting out of college and then coming back home, you know, I had some connections with farmers that, you know, I had done work for growing up or were just local and things like that. And that's kind of when the craze of, uh, you know, food plots and that kind of shit started. And, and I never really had the ability or, or the money to build food plots, but I had some farmland now. So I got into hunting just the field edges um you know you don't want to push into the woods and hunting the field edges and different stuff like that and having set stands and it took me a while to realize that that was good for when they were new so i had success in them early because at that point it almost is mobile hunting yeah it's a fresh when you're, every time when you're hunting them fresh it's kind of you're almost mobile hunting it you, right. you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Makes um, total sense. So, but after hunting it repeatedly, it's no longer a mobile spot, a new spot, or however you want to classify it. And it took me a while to kind of realize that I had affected the deer herd and the pattern and the deer I had killed and things were changing. Also, I just lost, I lost most of my good properties to either you know, uh, their grandchildren are now at the age where they want to hunt or, you know, how a lot of, a lot of the big fields and big timber I used to hunt are, are now neighborhoods, you know, things like that. So I've gotten 
back into the mobile game, especially, you know, starting to go after Sick of Deer and everything. But man, the mobile game, it's, it's just, to me, it's just a more fun way to hunt. I, I, I feel so stupid that I got sucked into having a set that I would go to and preset all the time. And one of the big reasons I did is because I film everything and as much work as it takes to set up two or three cameras and a camera arm and this and that, if you can already have a stand and a bow hanger set, I mean, it's pretty damn sweet. Oh, yeah, it's half the work. It's not Mm -hmm. the most effective hunting. And it took me a while to learn that. And I'm not saying it's not effective. I mean, for I know guys that they go sit in the same spot every year and they kill a good buck. It's just, you know, they're by the X. Yep. You know, if if you're, it's a location, location, location. That's what it's all about. But yeah, so I'm definitely getting more into the mobile game that, you know, back into it the past few years. And, uh, it just brings a lot of excitement back to hunting too. Kind of always what's over that next ridge or, you know, what, what's around that next bend or, you, you know, it's, it's the adventure and excitement and, uh, the unknown. Hell yeah, dude. So let's jump into that then. Let's go right into bow hunting from a saddle and uh, self-filming because you got into a saddle, what, last year, right? For the first year? I started playing with it last year. Yep. Um, I've been using the... Last year, I used the Wild Edge Steps even for my uh, most of my lock-on sets and everything. And I was always skeptical of filming from a saddle. Uh, I'm one of those guys that if that buck comes through and I, if I get the full draw and he walks out of the frame of the camera, well, I'm letting down and I'm getting him back in frame of camera. If I don't have the shot on camera, I'm not taking the shot. Dude, that's tough. I know. It is. It is. <laughs> that's and one thing burned. we've, it's, yeah, man. Believe me, there are Ugh. some deer that would look really good on my wall that looked good walking away (laughs) because i couldn't get things together in time or um you know you set the camera up because he looks like okay he's walking right down this trail and then all of a sudden he breaks a different direction i had one this year that hurt me i had a couple does off to my right and this was my i guess you know first sit in in this piece of public land i had scouted out and I knew a buck had been bedding up on this point, and it was just a good wind for it. And I had three does come in, and then here comes the buck behind him. And he was behind a tree. I could only see the right half of his rack as he's coming in. And, I mean, he's he, he had long forks and probably a six, seven-inch brow tine, but he was only three points. And I'm like, man, I didn't come back here to shoot a six point, even if it is a big six point. It was the first morning in this spot and I just wasn't really feeling it. And I thought he was going to walk out, you know, the same direction as the does. So I got the camera over there and I didn't even grab my bell or anything. And I guess he realized those does weren't the ones he was looking for. Ten yards behind the tree broke to his left. He came out to the left side of me, and as I turn and look, he's going right through my shooting lane, and I was thinking he was probably a big six-point. Well, some bitch had at least six points on his left side alone. Oh, oh dude. He was a freak. He had a giant three points on his right side, and then it was, I, I think it was six points on his left. It was at least five, if not six, and now I'm... 
well, I need to, you know, get him on camera. And by the time I got the camera on him, he'd gone through my shooting lane. And I figured I'd have a hole. And, uh, no, he just cut and turned, gave me nothing but his ass as he walked away right over a hill. But, Ouch. so, yeah, the <laughs> saddle hunting, uh, I spent a lot of time playing with it. And I will absolutely be in a saddle this year. I have have played with it not only at all the shows but to the point where i'm even coming out with my own camera arm that is focused around saddle hunting um there was certain things that i found uh you know without some serious just do it yourself modifications that there's kind of a need for something adapted to it so I'll have to give you guys a look at that because it, it's in the works right now and it shouldn't be shouldn't be too long before that comes out. Dude, I'd be super interested in seeing yep. what that looks like. Yeah, because yeah. we're talking uh, about saddle hunting and we're talking about, you know, filming next year. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, how do you film from a saddle, you know, and how has it been effective or, or how has it been a pain in the ass to film from a yeah, saddle? So that's, I, knew it uh, on, man. I mean, Ooh. I can play with it as much as I want. But until I'm out in the tree doing it for real, it, it, it'd be too hard for me to say. You know, I, I don't want to say it's this or it's that when when really I haven't filmed and hunted from it. Just because I hadn't found a method that worked well for me that I thought was the most effective. And when it came time to put in the miles and get out there to the spot, I was taking what I was most familiar with and comfortable with but now i can you know i'm ready to set up a saddle in the dark you know no problem let's say i was even using the wild edge steps for my my lock on stands so yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting but i guess just to give you a little idea of of how this camera arm is you guys have been playing with the saddle and and the steps yep so basically uh you know if if you think about Kind of a sitting position, uh, sitting or leaning really. The mount would be right about knee height. Okay. And that will bring after the, the trifold arm of the camera and the mount, that'll bring it right up to right around your waistband, which is the furthest out you are from the tree. Actually, really, really right about nut height. So it's your furthest gap from the tree, but you're underneath everything as far as your bridge or your linesman loops and, and and the saddle itself. So it's allowing you to pass the camera between the, the largest gap between you and the tree. And the way I have the arms segmented, you will basically be able to go almost 360 around the tree, just like you can with the saddle. Oh, nice. Sweet. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, it's a, you know, the saddle... Uh, I, I really find it comfortable, one, but it is, you know, the big craze of the mobile game. And so, of course, keeping that in mind, the arm weighs less than a pound. Ooh. The mount looks like it's going to come in at just under a pound. Nice. So we think the mount, the arm, and with a friction ball head will be somewhere right around two pounds. Oh, dude, that's like... Can't beat so, that. Man. That's a game changer, man. Because I played with a couple very, arms. And they're heavy. Very compact. The the way it folds up. Um, you know, I've been self filming for 
probably 10 plus years. I, I don't even know how long I've been doing it. It's, it's been a long time. Actually, it's been over that because I got my first camera in 2005 when I graduated college. My, my parents gave me my first camcorder that I started filming hunts with. So yeah, it's been, it's been since then that I filmed every hunt that I go on. So I have a lot in what works and what doesn't work. And I've tried so many different systems and everybody, well, what, what camera arm would you recommend? None. <laughs> None. <Yeah. laughs> like, and like, well, what do you mean? Which one should I buy? I'm like, I don't know. What do you think about this one? Well, I like it, but it's too bulky, too heavy. What about this one? Yeah, it's nice, but there's no adjustments, you know? And there was, I kind of really didn't have too many I recommended. So if I was like, all right, I need to, take the modifications and everything that I've put into mine. And uh, I'm working with the Brainiac Matt from Out on the Limb Manufacturing. He's the one that helped Drew with the the perch. Yeah, I was going to say That's that right. name sounded super familiar. Yeah, I was wondering where yeah, I heard that from. Yeah, so uh, yeah, he, he's, he's the one that made the perch with Drew. I was actually working with Drew and Matt. You know, when we met in Iowa, he's like, here it is. And we're looking at it. And I mean, we, we bought a grinder and we're grinding it down right then and there and making modifications because we were all just like half infatuated with the thing. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. dude, what <laughs> the test we've put them through is, is kind of crazy. And, um, you know, it's, they do have a little bit of flex, which that's understandable. It, it's only attached by a little bit of it. It is. It's an aluminum it's, too. It, it actually feels really good because it's kind of like, it's very predictable, put it that way. Yeah. It's like you know almost exactly what it's going to do. Yeah, that thing's uh, pretty badass, man. I I really like Ring of Steps, but the perch is pretty sweet. And if you want something a little bit larger, the podium that Matt makes uh, out on a limb manufacturing, that's a, that's a sweet little little platform, too. I can dig that. Now, with your camera arm, I mean, I know it's not necessarily coming out quite yet or anything like that, but what kind of price point are you looking at with that? Uh, as cheap as I can get it to people. Yeah. And, and I, I, I mean that. You know, my, my father has his own business, and, you know, there's things that, you know, our competition sells for two, three hundred percent more than we do. And I always say, well, why don't you up the prices? You know, you could up our prices. And still come in way under them. And he always says, I'm just, I, I'm just trying to make a living, not a killing. Yeah. He's like, and that's Point. what it's worth. So, you know, that's kind of always been instilled in me. And, uh, you know, I grew up scratching money together as a broke college kid just to put gas in the gas tank and to buy a bell. And I mean, to buy a half dozen arrows, arrows were like gold. You miss the target, you're looking for that son bitch for three, four hours if that's what it takes. <laughs> yeah. You're not losing an arrow. So, you know, I I really don't know at this point what, what the price point's going to be, but I think with the materials that we're building it with, the process that we're building it with, it's everything in it is kind of simple and common sense with silent function. So uh, I, I'm not sure what the price is going to be, but it ain't going to be nothing outrageous. The one I'm building right now is geared towards saddle hunting, but some very minor modifications, basically making a couple parts a little bit longer. It'll be very well adapted to hunting out of a hang-on, whether it be a mobile or a pre-hung set or even a climber stand. 
But with that, you want a little bit longer range to go around your body or around the tree. Whereas the one designed for the saddle hunting, it's a little more compact in places so it can pass between you and the tree. Right. Now, that, that makes, makes total sense. sense. Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing is trying to work it around and move it around that makes sense and also knock it in the way of your shot or knock it in the way of your bow. So what what you're saying is put it in the one spot where you have the most room to maneuver it and that makes yep, total yep. sense. And, and you know? it kinda yeah, it it'll melt kind of right there, almost right above your kneecap. And if you set it into kind of the offside shot, so you're setting it, you know, if you're a right hand shooter you have your right hand free to operate the camera because your left hand's holding the bell. Right. Well, your hardest shot is off to your right. So that's kind of where the camera's mounted to where it's not impacting your movements around the tree really at all. So when you do extend it to go in between you and the tree, it can actually be even closer to the tree because it's not coming straight out from the tree like between your legs, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, my brain just uh, just doesn't stop about shit like this. I'm always trying to think about how to improve something, how to make something better, how to make something more effective, and uh, think of put uh, a lot of really good ideas into this. And um, this isn't going to be, you know, as rock steady as a giant ten pound tree arm, right? But it's it's going to be solid. It's going to be steady. It's going to meet everything that guys that are, unless your camera's over like $7,000, this is, this camera arm's going to work for you. you know what I mean? Perfect. Unless you, you have one <laughs> this of is on our giant, budget. <laughs> the giant news station TV son bitches. Then you're going to want something more, but then you're on a different level altogether. Yeah. Well, and that being said, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Zero 360 arm from out on the limb manufacturing. I have not. No. All right. So anybody that's listening that may not be a saddle hunter, if you are filming your buddies, this is the camera arm to have. It attaches to the tree up above you Ooh. and comes out down in front of you and you hold a little cage. When I first walked past Matt's booth and I saw it, I looked at it and I started laughing and he's like, He's like, what are you laughing about? He's like, it really works. It works well. I said, I'm laughing because I thought about building a camera arm like this like six years ago when I was laying in a dentist chair <laughs> looking at the light as she's moving the light around. Oh, yeah. So, that's a great point. That's exactly how the camera arm works. Wherever you move it to and let it go, it stops. And it that is can genius, tilt dude. on any axis and it's silent. I mean, it's absolutely genius. When people find out about this, that camera arm will be the standard for production filming. Oh, dude, that's insane! I'm, I'm not, I'm not joking. That people just don't know about it. It will be the standard arm for production filming because not only can you attach it to the tree over your head, you can put it in the blind chair and it comes over the back of of you, over top of you, like kind of like a scorpion tail. Yeah, and you can just move it where you want. He has a frame pack that attaches to, so you can be walking almost hands-free and the camera's just floating in front of you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's genius. It can attach to, like, a, a wheelchair or something like that and works as a camera or, like, a gun rest. 
it's it's genius. <laughs> but as far as uh, but that's a little bit bigger and it's more of a production arm. But Matt's a hell of a dude. So that's who I am working with on this camera arm. And there's some things already he's been trying to beef up and down. Like, nope, cut it back down. This is what I want. I said, uh, I said that extra inch or two means it's not going to fit in a pouch the size for a water bottle. So most packs on the side of your, your book bag will have that little pouch. It's a little, just big enough to squeeze like a water bottle in. Yeah. I want the camera arm to be able to tuck into that. Oh, dude. So yeah, when you get up there, you can pop that thing right out. You're not pulling it out of your bag. It's not snagged in your call lanyard. It's not snagged in your extra jacket. You can get up. You can set your mount. That thing strapped right there on the side of your pack. Quick, easy. Again, it's all simplicity with specific function. That's sweet. Dude, that's all you need, really. You just need to be Absolutely. simple and work. Mm-hmm. Ab- you, you, I mean, you just need silent, stable, and simple. Hell yeah. And light and everything else works out, too. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah. but really, yeah, the functionality the is the How, biggest thing, what dude. What materials do we use to make it light? But yeah. keep it from having bounce right. and things like that. And, um, you know, there were certain things that I was like, well, this is the material I want to use. And Matt was just like, yeah, no. I'm like, what do you mean, no? <laughs> like, that's what I want to use. He's like, dude, it's not going to work. Yeah. Use this. And then, you know, he, he, like I said, he's a genius. So I usually take his ideas on things and what we've got kind of collabed is, uh, is pretty badass. I'm excited to get my hands on it. Nice. Dude, I can't wait to see what it turns Hell into, yeah. man. So we've we've kind of mentioned it before, you know, we're we're just getting into filming this year. Uh, so what would you say some of the tips for like beginners, just like people like us that if we've been hunting for a long time, we barely dabbled in filming, but we want to kind of dive in and get more serious about filming, maybe self-filming, some double hangs. What's a good tip for someone that's trying to get into it? Two things I would say. Number one, and this goes beyond filming hunts, is start filming everything. And what I mean by that is if you're outside in the backyard with the dog playing ball, chuck the ball, lift up the camera, and film your dog running out to get that ball coming back. Learn how to use the zoom. Learn how to... You know, if your dog is running from left to right, you kind of want the your dog in the left third of the screen so you see two-thirds of what he's running into. It gives better relativity of, of the spatial awareness of what's going on. That's one thing I always try to do in my videos is show where I am and shots zooming in and zooming out of where the animal is and shit's going on to where you have a relative idea you know you may watch some shows and you see a deer get shot and they're like oh that was 85 yards away it's like what the hell i thought it was 25 the way the camera yeah you know (laughs) what i mean so but film everything if you got a pond nearby zoom in on some geese as they're setting down in the evening and, and learn how to work that zoom and follow motion and track smooth and just get used to your your camera function. Because no matter how great of a hunter you are, you're not going to have a great hunting footage if you suck with a camera. Yeah, um, that makes total sense. Yeah, so, yeah, film, film everything. And, and, you know, 
you film your dog, check it out, and be like, oh, that worked out really well right there. Think about what you did different that shot. And then you can go ahead and just delete all the shit. It's not like you have to, you know, archive it, but just film it, watch it back, and see what works, what works better. You know, you'll find, too, that it's always better to be zoomed out a little bit further. You can always zoom in when editing. You cannot zoom out past what the camera's captured. That makes so sense. Yeah. sometimes it's better to leave the camera a little wider, and, and that helps, too, to make sure your deer is within frame when you have a wider field of view. And, you know, most of the time when I... I guess this is something most people probably wouldn't even think about. Most of the time when I shoot a deer... I don't see that deer in the camera frame. I'm looking down by my waist at a little two-inch screen. What I see is that patch of green that's in against the brown that he's about to walk into. I see that patch of green on the screen. If I know he's going to walk out right between this tree and that tree, I can glance down at my camera and I can see the two trees. But rarely do I kind of see the animal, if that makes sense. Because you're looking at such a tiny little screen. Yeah, you're looking at your viewfinder. Yep, yep. It's a little viewfinder down by your waist so you can cross your bow over top of it or do what you got to do. And you're very minimal movement. So you're kind of just glancing down at it. And yeah, so a lot of times, you know, that's something to just get used to and think about is... If you know that deer is about to walk past that big rock, well, if you got that big rock in your frame, you know where that deer is without looking down again whether that deer is still in frame or not. My second tip, I guess, besides start filming everything, is make sure you take the camera every hunt. Every hunt. And, again, if you see a fox going by, pull it, make sure you're filming it. Film it. Get used to it. Uh, squirrels, you know, film them, get used to it. But you know how it is. It, do you only take your bow on certain hunts? <laughs> no. You, you make sure you take your bow every time. Why? Because you don't know which hunt you're going to get the shot. You know, if you did, you'd only go on those days. <laughs> yeah, um, makes it's total the sense. same with the camera. If, if you really want to get a hunt on film, you got to make sure you have that camera every time because if you don't, you know, it's it's the same as just not taking your bell one time. That's going to be the time you get a shot. So basically, don't be a lazy like asshole and just make sure you take Dude, your camera with you every time. And, and set I, it I'm up. it, man. I will tell you that's where most people fail. Most people start filming, and then when they find out, you know, you gotta get home every day, and if you have a little clip of footage you want, maybe you saw, let's just say a buck, you saw a nice buck, but you didn't get a shot. You want to archive that footage. So you got to pull that footage off, save it to the computer, this and that. Then you got to delete the memory. Then you got to go through the rest of the cameras and clear the memories. Then you got to make sure all your cameras are charged again. And you may not have shit. You may not have got film at all that day. And you have to do that every day and then repack it. And it over doubles the work of hunting, if you ask me. With all the extra preparation it takes, the chance of setting and leaving cameras around and deer or whatever animals smelling them or smelling where you were or 
seeing you move to, to get the camera lined up, uh, all the extra gear, the extra time it takes and the extra noise it takes to set up a camera arm and all this and that. It, it triples the work of hunting. But man, when, when you let that arrow go and you watch it disappear right behind the shoulder, that's the moment that we live for as hunters. I mean, there is the release, the moment of the release and. It, your arrow's going 300 feet a second. And in that 20 yards after that release, you are either on the top of the world or in the lowest pile of shit. Oh, man. And it happens that fast. And that's something just people don't realize. Like, I don't think there's anything else in the world that you go from the highest to highs to the lowest of lows that fast. <laughs> it's a roller coaster, man. Except for, except for maybe like MMA. But yeah. it's. <laughs> Like, yeah, that, that the flight of that arrow in that amount of time changes, you know, can all but it can be life changing. It can be, you know, you got that animal or you didn't. And it's certainly life changing for them. <laughs> Whether you get them or don't. But when you can then watch that on camera and watch, okay, what was his demeanor when he was coming in? Because. You're sitting there, okay, where's my shooting lane? Which way the wind's going? How far is he? Where's that trail going to cross? How do I get this camera set up? Okay, ready, ready, ready. Okay, and then, you know, maybe you got your shot. But when you can really watch on film and see, especially if you're calling and an animal's coming in in reaction to a call, you can really watch their demeanor and everything. But when you connect and you get to watch that arrow disappear right behind the shoulder in slow motion, you know, and get to share that moment with your buddies that it's just, it's just something It's the next level addiction that I took to. Dude, that's kind of like what I'm feeling. That's what I want so much because there's so much stuff I see out in the woods and like, I'm always by myself. I shouldn't say always by myself, but most of the time I'm by myself out there and I see so much cool shit and I just wish I could show some people yep. exactly what I'm saying because half the time you're like, dude, I saw a buck at like 80 yards. It was an absolute tank. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> nobody, everyone always plays down what you saw. Like, oh, yeah. You, you oh, can't dude, explain it to me. them. I mean, I have crazy shit happen to me all the time. It, like, no one would believe my stories. I mean, you, you, you saw, did you see the Sika film? The Sika stag I shot with the muzzle loader? Yes, yeah. sir. Yeah, that was okay. Now, if I had told you about that, and how I went chasing him through the marsh and shit, you'd be like, yeah, okay, I got you. Like, <laughs> that is a perfect this guy's example. Gonna, no one's going to believe that story. That's why right. I didn't tell that story. <laughs> I didn't tell, I, I mean, people, yeah, sure, I showed I killed that stag and whatever, but I didn't tell the story of how it went down because no one would believe it, one, and two, it was just too good of story to not tell the way I had it fully documented. For anybody out there that's listening right now, head over to his YouTube channel and watch that hunt. It is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, I he watched it again today. And then he's chasing it through swamp grass at 10 feet over his head, running through little tunnels and stuff, and like it's just absolutely mind-boggling. <laughs> See, and me even listening to you say it, he's like, yeah, running through knee-deep marsh, 10-foot-tall grass yeah. and little tunnels and shit. Uh, okay, yeah. But I know it happened, and I understand you <laughs> listening to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you got a little bit of a uh, screw loose there somewhere to do something like that, man, for a little-ass 70-pound deer. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, it's, you know how it is. When you get an addiction Hell to yeah. something or a fire, it's, it's, 
It's half, uh, you know, a uh, little bit of cross between passion and insanity running through my veins, I guess. Yep. Yep. Dude, no, I love I, it. Th- that's how we live, man. That's why we're doing this. You know, that's what we love to do. And I get it. We've yeah, done some dumbass shit for, for an animal. Trust me. We've all been there. And if you haven't, you're just not. I mean, the passion isn't there, and you might as well just quit doing it because you're not doing it for the right reasons. You know, know and, and that's a good point to, um, you know, if anybody has seen my videos or is getting ready to go check them out. I mean, it's explicit hunting. My, my whole thing's raw, real, no bullshit. And there's a reason for that. You know, it's it's not just a be raw and be edgy it's people don't understand how much work this shit takes like when someone that's not a hunter sees pretty deer frolicking around in their neighborhood all the time that you could probably walk up and and hit with a hammer they think you hunters are just shooting these pretty little animals that are frolicking around without a care in the world right and when you make a production that makes them all just seem like simple, dumb, beautiful little creatures, and then you kill it and you clean it up and you make it all pretty and you set it in this perfect little field and sunshine surrounding and make it look like a perfect, pretty little animal, you're just kind of reinforcing the idea that these deer are easy to kill and they're just simple, beautiful, little, peaceful creatures living peaceful lives. So... I try to show in my videos, like, you know, I'm sweating my ass off doing this. Or, you know, this is day 10 in a row of getting up first thing in the morning in piss miserable weather and trying to get it done. The work that goes into after it, all that's really important. All that is what makes an animal rewarding. All that's what makes an animal a trophy. You know, trophy, that, that, word is just so tainted trophy hunting but yeah yeah that's so so anybody that's going to check my shit out yeah raw real no bullshit i try to show how it is what it is and it's the work and effort that goes into it that makes this shit rewarding and it's not all just sunshine and rainbows no absolutely and i think that's really why i kind of gravitated towards your style of filming and and your videos in general like you do some stuff that nobody even thinks about. Like, who goes out into the middle of a field with a shovel and makes a blind and sets out decoys and shoots geese with their bow? <laughs> <laughs> nobody does that. That's like, that's the coolest shit ever, man. That's like, next level shit, that, man. That was a funny story. Um, it's actually somewhere buried in my Instagram. I got, we, we had like a blizzard. And I got home from work, and the wind was just pounding the piss out of this little hillside. And there was an area just about three yards wide, 20 yards long, that was bare ground. And there was over probably 200 geese fighting to get in it. (laughs) And I was like, well, know where I'm going to be in the morning. (laughs) So I called the farmer across the street, and was like, hey, I'm going over there to shoot geese in the morning. He's like, nope. like. No, why not? He's like, one of the guys shot some ringnecks off the pond the other morning. He said, don't know why. A couple of the cows kind of freaked out about it. They all started slipping in the ice and the snow, and it was just a fucking mess and a stampede and just, nope, not shooting any geese. I'm like, well, what if I use my bell? He's like, you going to shoot a goose with a bell? <laughs> I was like, yeah. He's like, well, 
do your thing, man. Have at it. <laughs> kind of like a thing. He was just like, whatever. But he's like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I did. Dude, that was, that was intense. That's actually one of my favorite videos of yours, honestly. I it, really did It was that. fun. It was one of those things that it, it's funny, like, some of the comments, too. It's like, wow, dude, you killed two geese. What are you so jacked about? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I get that. But, you know... As much work as it was to drag all that shit out there and dig the hole and set up and then to shoot two geese with my bow. And I had the decoys at 50 yards because, I mean, I'm in the middle of a big flat field. I got nowhere to hide. That's why I made that little berm and was wearing a white Tyvek suit. And I basically would lay over top of my bow to cover it up so they couldn't see it. But, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. That's crazy, man. And that kind of goes in a little bit with your dog, Brick. Yeah, I didn't have Brick then, but yeah, he he's uh he's been on every hunt every hunt since then, pretty much. Yeah, man, he's a bird dog. I mean, you got him blood tracking and everything. What kind of dog is he? First of all, he is a silver lab. He's a silver so lab. He's what good he dog. is a is dog. he is a uh, certified chocolate lab with silver markings. Is what his pedigree and all says but he's a purebred chocolate lab that has a it's a recessive gene of the coat so his hair's like a little bit shorter and it's that silver color yeah great looking dog man yeah he is definitely a little stud (laughs) i always said when i got him i was like man if this dog hunts half as good as he looks i'll be in good shape and and he does so that's awesome (laughs) man that's awesome do you have any uh future plans with him i know you got him bird hunting and tracking blood and you get well, turned into a shed dog even, or i haven't mentioned this on social media or anything anywhere yet but uh little brick brick there's gonna be a daddy before too long oh shit oh, buddy yeah yeah he met himself a nice pretty little chocolate lab nice and uh getting all swelled up so there's gonna be some little bricklets running around <laughs> <laughs> I'm not keeping one. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's enough work as it is. You know, one day I would absolutely, I plan to and would absolutely love to have one of his line for him to uh, kind of teach and show the ropes and keep that going. But uh, he just turned three. He He's just starting to come into his own now. Uh, it'd be too much work for me to to, to take yeah. on another dog. Yeah, no. Yeah, well, you know. Especially I'm, with the boat and everything. He goes yeah. with me bow fishing and all that shit. It's you so know? cool. He goes yeah. to work with me every day. He's a spoiled little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of spoiled, I actually watched one of you, uh, I think it was on Instagram. Had to have been on Instagram. You're driving down the road in your truck and you're, you're talking and you're eating an Egg McMuffin. And every time you took a bite, you handed it over to him and he'd take a bite. <laughs> And then you yep, took a bite, yep. and you kept talking, and then he got to be a little greedy fuck, and he stole the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like that, man. He's he's an interesting dog. I call him a barn cat all the time, because if you go to pet him, he backs up and looks at you as if you just wanted to, to pet Charles. <laughs> like, he just backs up and looks at you like, dude, what are you doing? What the hell's like, going on here? Yeah, I mean, it's not like he's aggressive about it. It's just like, dude, if you got a hand, like, why don't you feed me something or throw something? Like, why would you touch me? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so weird. He, he's such a barn cat. But. That is weird, man, because we have Choco Labs. I mean, we grew up with Choco Labs our whole life, and 
they're like the most friendly, playful. They will literally lick you to death before anything. That is their number one goal to get as many licks in as possible before you're throwing them off of you. So to, uh, I to mean, hear the opposite, it, end, that's crazy. If I walk in the house, he doesn't give a shit I'm there. He literally finds his ball or his toy as fast as he can and just blows out the door right by me and drops it by my feet. <laughs> like, he doesn't come up to say hi. He's like, see you, let's go, come on. He's using the shit yeah. out of you, man. <laughs> he, he's a maniac. People say he's exactly like me, and I, I don't want to agree, but I can't really argue. <laughs> 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 oh man that's awesome he's really going nuts now because yeah. the groundhogs are out and about and you know now that they're tearing up and tilling the fields and everything all the groundhogs are out and moving and he just has a special love hate with groundhogs i've seen a couple of videos that he's got some mm-hmm. yeah and i mean he's they've got him pretty damn good before i mean one of the videos yeah it was last summer this groundhog literally bit a hole all the way through his tongue. Oh, damn. Um, oh, shit. You know, it was hot out, so he's, like, panting, and he's in a fight with this giant groundhog. It literally, it jumped up, and it bit right through his, his tongue. He was walking backwards, dragging it by his tongue for a minute. <laughs> it was after that that he kind of decided that he had to end that fight. <laughs> oh, poor bastard yeah. Oh, yeah it was it was it was pretty bad if you go watch that video on instagram it's pretty graphic just gonna say <laughs> but yeah he uh as soon as i open the door or you know when we get home from work or something he's just standing in the truck shaking because he knows when i open that door he's he's gonna go run around all the barns and shit and look for groundhogs and if he can get one before it gets to its hole, it's game over. Oh, man. He's probably more vicious against them now than ever after that. <laughs> he's got yeah, a little yeah. something. It's payback. And I, you know, people say, like, with coon hounds and, 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 you know, dogs like that, like, you know a kill dog after it gets fucked up. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of dogs, just like a, a lot of guys that, you know, used to get into fighting and everything, you know, it's fun when you're the one that's that's killing and kicking ass, but it's not until you get your ass beat that you find out what it's what what you really are. And you know that's the same thing they'd always say with kill dogs. Like you find out once a coonhound gets in a in a one on one tangle with a <laughs> raccoon, whether he just wants to chase it up a tree or whether he wants to chase it and kill that son bitch. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um. So he got in a fight with that groundhog. Two days later, he gets attacked by two pit bulls at work. Oh, um, Lady just completely lost control of her dog. I don't think he even knew he was in a fight until, you know, he was getting his ass kicked by two pit bulls. So, and then it was the very next day. He went and killed another groundhog. And it's like, well, I guess he's got it in him. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> he just don't back down He just loves shit, the, you know? Yeah, he loves he's the fight. and ready to go. Damn. Oh, that's crazy, man. No, we had a beagle one time. He used to love to chase deer. I mean, he always chased deer. And we think one time he finally caught up to that deer, and that deer gave him one good swift kick. And after that day, he never chased deer again. No (laughs) shit. Yep, yep. It was this one time he used to run off on deer. And, you know, it was one of our best hunting beagles, too, at the time. And, yeah, I think he got kicked or he got got something from that deer, and he no longer chased them. He wanted nothing to do with them. 
Ah, well, that probably made him better as a hunting beagle, though. Yes, it did. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I hate when they chase deer, man. It is the worst thing you can have in a hunting beagle. The yeah, worst. That, um, I was just doing a podcast with the East Coast boys, and actually we had a uh, working class on, too, and, and Cody DeQuisto, and one of the things, you know, was saying with Cody is he's, you know, he's like a master at his his form and style of hunting. And I was saying, I probably, I probably won't ever master anything because I just do too much shit. You know, like he is a whitetail hunter. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. That's it. But between the waterfowl hunting and training the dog, the upland hunting, and I do that pretty much just to take the dog out. You know, but if I can get a group of people that want to go so we can really let him work, that to me is just so much fun. But obviously, I love killing whitetail and all too. I predator hunt, fish, bowfish. It's it's hard to ever master one thing when you do a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. you can see that in your YouTube channel. You can see that in your videos, man. You got videos, all kinds of shit. And one thing I'm really looking forward to is, all right, guys. Well, this episode got cut short because of technical issues. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, this is a longer <laughs> episode, so we're breaking it into two parts. You're going to have to wait until next week to get part two, but it is well worth the wait. We cover so much stuff in this episode, way more in the next episode. It's just, it's going to be absolutely so much fun, so crazy. Yeah, and the second part of this episode is not going to be just more of the same. Even though it's a really good conversation, we tried to make two episodes that were genuinely a little bit different from one another. And they're both very, very good. So I'm looking forward to next week's episode just as much as this week's. Oh, dude, absolutely. And this is something that we've been talking about doing for quite a while now, you know, because we're kind of listening to some of the people out there that, you know, don't have the availability or the time to listen to a two-hour episode. So why not cut them into two 45-minute to an hour, hour 15 episodes? That way everybody can enjoy it, you can really focus on it, you can get it in on that hour commute you have to work, or, you know, just that hour or hour and a half you have at home where you just can't can't stand listening to two-hour episodes sometimes. I understand that on my end as well. Absolutely. You know, we're, at, we're, we're avid listeners, you and I, Austin. So, yes, sir. You know, we'll listen to whatever, whenever, but, you know, not everybody has that, that freedom. Absolutely. So. Well, make sure you guys tune in next week to get the second part of Garrett Benner, the modern assassin. It's going to be a good one. Make sure you go over and follow him on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at The Modern Assassin. His YouTube is The Modern Assassins, with an S on the end. So go watch some of his videos. It's really cool content. He puts out some great videos. He does great film work, and it's a blasty blast. Yeah, yeah, he's a cool dude. He's a really nice person. I had a lot of fun talking to him. I really enjoy his show on YouTube. I think everybody should do themselves a favor and go check that out. Absolutely. And if you could do us a favor and go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review, it would be greatly appreciated. If you could also head over to Facebook, Instagram, Go Wild, and YouTube, and Twitter, and give us a like or a follow, or just come on and say hi, we'd greatly appreciate that as well. Yeah, absolutely. We thank you guys for joining us week in and week out. We're going to try to keep this thing going, keep it consistent. we got a lot of good turkey content coming down. And we got some, maybe some videos in the works. So we're kind of working on a bunch of exciting things right now. Absolutely. And who else doesn't love being in Turkey Woods? Best time of the year. (laughs) I couldn't agree more, man. Until fall. (laughs) Until fall. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Well, until next week, the distraction is real. The distraction is real. Let's go.